Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. This is found on page 988 of the Church Bibles, if you wish to follow. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Um, Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. Thanks, Martin. Thank you ever so much. So then, to mark the occasion, I thought I'd begin with a, uh, well, it's a sort of joke, but it's a true story uh, to help us to get into this theme of allegiance and where our allegiance is. It's a story of uh, quite a naive, easily led young man who always wanted to travel the world. He'd saved his money for (coughs) several years, and finally he had enough for his dream trip. And until now, he'd never even been out of the country, so he needed a passport. So he went to the passport office and he asked what he needed to do to get one. Well, first, said the passport clerk, you must declare your allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen. You need to raise your right hand. So, being quite naive, the lad raised his right hand. Do you swear to defend your queen and country against all enemies, domestic or foreign? And the lad's face turned pale and his voice trembled as he asked in a small voice, What? All on my own? (laughs) It must have been the same lad Kate and I knew from years ago who, uh, when he started his YTS, can you remember those? YTS, Youth Training Scheme. Yes, we can remember those. They were politically terrible, weren't they? Anyway, and uh, he had a torrid time. So he started work and his boss sent him to, he worked at a Ford garage and his uh, his boss sent him to the parts department for a long wait. (laughs) which I thought was quite mean. And then the next day, he sent him for a new bubble for his spirit level, which I thought was even even meaner. But he really was quite naive. In fact, he went for another job interview once, and the poor lad, we said, well, you're really quite nervous. You need some Dutch courage. And he said, I don't. I don't need any Dutch courage. And anyway, I've never even been to Holland. (laughs) 
Are you awake this morning? You are, aren't you there? You're good. Yeah. Right. So then, the events of Palm Sunday raise a number of questions. None more important, though, than this. Where is your allegiance? We can be fickle people, can't we? Oscar Pistorius was loved, honored, and respected for his part in the 2012 Olympics. But within months, we're questioning all that we think about him now. In the end, if he's innocent of the charges of murdering his girlfriend, we'll have doubted him. And if he's guilty, then we were slow to see through him. Our allegiance can change with the wind. Just look at Tony Blair. Think back or look at the YouTube videos as he was voted in as Prime Minister in 1997. The vast majority of the country loved him. He swept to power. But within 10 years, that trend had been almost reversed. But if allegiance can change with our mood, then allegiance can also be resolute and firm when really we would be advised to change it and rethink our allegiance. I wonder then where your allegiance lies today, in faith, in politics, at work, at home, in the media, when you're shopping. As we'll see, where is your allegiance is a question that the events of Palm Sunday set in light. Now, of course, Palm Sunday marks Jesus' triumphant procession into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey whilst being cheered on by the crowds. But what many of us don't realize is that there were probably two processions into Jerusalem on that day. And if it wasn't that day, it was around about that time. And a number of biblical scholars tell us this. And in fact, the BBC version of the uh, Holy Week events, the Passion of Christ, um, it depicts this. And if you watch that on the DVD, you can see, you'll see uh, the two processions making their way into Jerusalem. On the one hand, there was one procession representing the Roman culture of the day, and the other proclaiming Jesus' radical, world-changing kingdom. Now, in 30 AD, or around about that time, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea and Jerusalem. And for those who don't know, little advert, um, I'm playing the part of Pontius Pilate in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar in, at Theatre 7 in September, and tickets are going to be available after Easter. And it's two charity performances. We're going to pack it out and raise as much money for these charity as we can. But anyway, back to Palm Sunday. And the governors of the Roman Empire in that area, including Pilate, lived outside Jerusalem. But it was the custom for them to visit the city with their soldiers and their entourage for Passover. And why would they do this? Well, it was to provide an impressively powerful Roman military presence in what could be a really turbulent and unstable season. And they were there to quash any potential trouble or troublemakers, to stamp on them quickly. It was also a fantastic opportunity to maximize the potential for a reminder to all the people of just who was in charge here. Thousands upon thousands of pilgrims flocked to Jerusalem for Passover. And so this military presence showed them again that Roman rule was very, very real. Imagine today the police presence at a football stadium for a local derby match. The police are there in force. They're there to deal quickly with any trouble that might arise. But generally, 
They're there to show who's in charge and to act as a deterrent. And so Pilate's procession came in from the west, and you can see that there on the map. At the head of an imposing and spectacular cavalcade, specially formed to impress and strike fear and dread into the population. But in contrast, stark contrast, on the other side of the city, from the north, down the Mount of Olives, came Jesus and his humble band. This procession, though, was also carefully staged. Jesus wanted to make his intentions clear. He wanted to claim his ground as the Messiah, to challenge the religious and political leaders, and to cleanse God's temple. But that's where the similarity ends. For Jesus, there was no pomp, no ceremony, no impression of power, no weaponry, no grandeur, just an ordinary-looking bloke on an ordinary donkey, followed by an ordinary band of friends. And yet, perhaps, amongst the number of that band, there were those who knew from experience that this Jesus was no ordinary man. What if the forgiven woman who poured oil on Jesus was one of the group, or Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, or any number of the lepers, the blind, the lame, who he'd healed over the previous years? Their presence in the group spoke of a very different power, a healing power, not a destructive one. Jesus' procession then signified real triumph and genuine joy. And so the journey into Jerusalem for Jesus and his followers was accompanied, as we were reminded on that DVD clip, by cheers and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! These words are from Psalm 118, which was one of the regular Passover hymns. Pilgrims to the Passover would have sung this as they walked, as they made their way across the country towards Jerusalem. But on this day, at this time, the hymn was directed to the arrival of a new king, Jesus. The psalm gives words to those who cry out for God's chosen one to save them, help them. But the psalm also mentions the stone the builders rejected being raised as the capstone, the pinnacle of the building. Jesus enters the city where he will, of course, be rejected but then raised to new life. And you can read about how Jesus spelt this out to those who were following him later on in chapter 21 of Matthew's Gospel. It's not hard to see then why Jesus was heading for trouble. The whole of Jesus' life, if you think about it, must have been in direct contrast and opposition to the Roman Empire. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Rome, on the other hand, said, pay your homage to Caesar. Both theologically and politically, Jesus was in conflict with Rome and all who colluded with them. And so when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and asserted himself as king, as Messiah, he was not only challenging the people's understanding of God, but the political powers too. Imagine these two processions, one from the west and one from the north, being like two contrasting party political broadcasts. The manner of Jesus' arrival yet again highlighted his humble, servant-hearted, 
liberating, inclusive, peace-bringing, life-changing kingdom. We'd be mad to think that this didn't challenge the dreadfully oppressive, greedy, dominating, violent, elitist empire of Rome. When it came to it, no wonder Jesus was so angry at the temple and their collusion with Rome. Jesus saw how the religious leaders of the day had become puppets of Rome. And as these two processions came into Jerusalem, they were heading for a collision. A collision that would cost Jesus his life and yet would be the moment on which all of history hinges. Jesus and Pilate would meet on a fateful day, not a week later. The shout of the crowds crying Hosanna on Palm Sunday would be in stark contrast to them shouting crucify on Good Friday. But the procession of Jesus did not end with obliteration at the hands of Rome following the collision with Pilate. Jesus' procession would march on beyond death and all those following or caught up in the great wave of Easter joy would be led beyond the pain of hopelessness and failure and destruction into new life. And so there's some questions for us to ponder, I feel. Whose procession are you on? Where is your allegiance? Who are you following? Where do you find yourself in the picture of Palm Sunday I've painted this morning? Are you and I part of Jesus' ragtag band of friends, his disciples? Or are we more comfortable getting swept along with the political and cultural powers of the day? Are we willing to join the procession of Jesus on the incredibly hard and costly road to the cross in order to experience the hope of new life, God's love, healing, forgiveness and grace? Are we one of Jesus' own followers who know from experience that he is no ordinary person? And will our commitment to be part of Jesus' procession remain or will we have changed our allegiance by Good Friday by denying him or even condemning him? And as part of the procession of Jesus, will we stand against those things that, that are in direct opposition or conflict with the kingdom of God? The exclusivity, the abuse, the selfishness, the lies, the violence, the greed, the exploitation, the injustice, the anger, all of which can be seen in varying degrees in our country, our town, our neighborhood, our school, our college, or even, dare I say it, our families? Or will we just keep our mouths shut and stay quiet and do nothing? Because like the power of the Roman Empire, such things are too alluring, too powerful, too dominant. Are we some of those misguided members of the crowd, enthusiastically cheering on our own idea, our convenient idea of a Messiah that looks really more like a Roman emperor than the self-sacrificing Christ. A Messiah that we can ride on the back of to achieve power, wealth or status instead of a Messiah who came to serve and not be served. And do we only want to follow a Jesus that gives us the good feelings of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? You like the hosannas of the worship, you enjoy the buzz of the cheering crowd and yet the plod and the pain of the way of the cross is just not your thing. 
Or maybe we're not part of this procession of Jesus at all. Perhaps we're waiting at the other gate, cheering for the symbols of power, wealth, status and position in our own walk of life. Maybe we haven't even noticed that that's actually where we're standing, staring, dazzled. Where is your allegiance? Where's mine? If we're honest, each one of us is part of both processions, and to pretend otherwise is foolish and lying. We probably want to follow Jesus, even though he blows our minds and challenges our motives and asks what feels like far too much of us, and yet we're distracted, we're pulled. Our focus easily shifts to everything and anything in this world that can help us along the way, give us a leg up the ladder, make us more comfortable, provide a better position, avoid the challenging bits, line our own pockets, and make us feel better about ourselves. But you know what? The wonderful thing, and this really is a wonderful thing, is that Jesus saw and knew all that was going on when he rode into Jerusalem. He was all too aware of the other grand Roman possession, and he was all too aware of Roman power. He saw the flawed humanity that surrounded him, the fickle crowd, those closest to him who would change allegiance for a time, and yet he carried on. He didn't throw a strop, jump down off the donkey, and storm off in the other direction. He continued to the devastating collision with Rome and beyond to the hope of new life. How amazing then that Jesus sees and knows all of us too, our flawed humanity, and he still invites every one of us to join his procession. He welcomes us all along, forgiving us, loving us, healing us, and strengthening us as we go. He sees our potential, the bags and bags of potential that every one of us has, as we follow our humble king through the gate of self-sacrifice that leads to the devastating collision with power, beware, and yet beyond to the hopelessness of death, and then on further to the bright future of new life with God. Amen.